it appears to me that Ron McDaniel and the RNC are already making moves to trap, entrap, or box in and limit President Trump in the 2024 elections. We'll get into that in a bit. Folks, some important things have happened over the last day or so, which are flying under the radar, and I am absolutely flabbergasted that these things aren't headline news stories. They would be under a a regular, normal time. For instance, I'm betting that many of you, if not most of you, didn't know that we killed a senior ISIS leader in Syria and that we had U.S. soldiers and a canine, I believe, wounded in this raid. And all of this recovery is taking place in Iraq. Hmm. I thought we were done with Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. I thought ISIS was defeated. Oh, yeah, that was under President Trump. That's when the last time we had a president that actually finished the job. Four U.S. soldiers were wounded following a helicopter raid in Syria that killed a senior leader of the ISIS terrorist group, the White House announced Friday. National Security Council Coordinator for Strategic Communications, John Kirby, told reporters that four soldiers and one of the working dogs are suffering some injuries after an explosion during the raid late on Thursday. The troops and the working dog are in stable condition. They're being treated at a U.S. medical facility in Iraq. Iraq, Syria, ISIS. Three things I shouldn't be really reporting on if President Trump were still around. Or at least the likelihood of that would be a lot less. ISIS senior leader Hamza al-Hamsi, who was overseeing an ISIS network in eastern Syria, was killed in an explosion on target in the raid conducted by the U.S. military and the Syrian Democratic Forces. That's the uh, Kurdish fighters that have been fighting against ISIS. The U.S. military has killed two ISIS leaders in Syria in recent years. In October of 2022, uh, Kariachi actually killed himself during a U.S. raid in northwest Syria. He had taken over as head of ISIS because President uh, Trump had taken out Baghdadi. And then after he had killed himself last year, November 30th last year, ooh, about the time of the midterms, Syria resurged again with this new leader, but now he's been taken out. And four dogs, uh, four, four soldiers and a dog are recuperating. How many civilians perished in this skirmish? We're getting very few details. But that's a major story that would have been headline had President Trump been in. But since Biden's the one in the Oval Office right now, they don't want you to know these stories. Totally on the hush-hush. Real quick, folks. um, The numbers are getting worse as far as refunds this year. Now, of course, the IRS and tax experts are saying that's because there's no more stimulus check and what have you. Okay, fine. But this is interesting. The latest IRS update on tax filing data shows that Americans' tax refunds so far this year are considerably smaller than they were last year, 14% lower. They were average was 1,997, 1997, that's a great year, that's the year, barely out of being a kid, but I did marry my wife in 1997, 
So that's a great year for me. And my wife, too, I hope. <laughs> it is. We're happily married. 1997 was the average refund amount. That's down from 2323, 2323. But here's what I find very interesting. As people have been tracking this number, just about two weeks ago, when someone crunched the numbers, it was 11% lower. So two weeks later, it's it's 14% lower. So by the time tax season finishes and everyone gets their, uh, most people who are going to get in without extensions, get their tax returns in by April 15th, I wonder how much lower it'll actually be. So that's interesting. All right, the, fa- uh, the, the fight against hate speech. We have an Obama judge that has done us a solid. New York is a solid, but by extension, all of us. A federal judge recently issued a preliminary injunction against a New York state law that implicates hate speech, saying, obviously, that it violates Americans' constitutionally protected First Amendment rights. As I have railed and said here several times, hate speech is protected speech. The freedom of speech is for freedom against unpopular speech. You don't need to have free speech laws for speech that everyone agrees on. That's silly. You have freedom of speech. We have that enshrined in the U.S. Constitution as the first amendment to the Constitution, the first 10 known as the Bill of Rights, that we have freedom of speech. We have the freedom to express ourselves through speech. Even if it's despicable, disagreeable speech, it's still protected. U.S. District Judge Andrew Carter blocked the law's enforcement which went into effect December 3rd, 2022. It was called the Hateful Conduct Law and it compelled platforms like social media and internet and web-based platforms, quote, to provide and maintain mechanisms for reporting hateful conduct on their platform. It also was giving the New York Attorney General, which in this case uh, would be the despicable Letitia James, an ability to assess a fine of of up to $1,000 per day on platforms that don't comply. Well, who was really the target of this? Well, it was Locals, where we host my other show, BCP Unfiltered. If you want to check it out, go over to therealbcp.com. I am at almost 30,000 members of our community. Doesn't, Folks, please help me. I want to get to 30,000 before our third season starts of that show on March 1st. doesn't cost you anything to join our community. Go over to therealbcp.com, the real bcp.com go go and join our community there on locals okay and then if you like the content then you can figure out later if you want to help us monetarily and have access to our exclusive content that's available there as well but hey go over and watch my last episode i believe it's number 194 go ahead and join at therealbcp.com and then watch episode 194 doesn't cost anything it's free to join and if you like it then you'd have You can figure out if you want to have access to our exclusive content. Why do we conservatives do that? It's because we are shadow banned and suppressed on these big tech platforms. Idiots can make tons uh, of money and the algorithm promotes 
their nonsense and and brainless content. But for us conservative folks, especially black conservative folks, because, you know, liberals are the most racist, they definitely have to quiet black conservatives, especially pro-Trump, pro-liberty, pro-constitution black conservatives. So, because this is now our livelihood, we have set up an alternative show, BCP Unfiltered, where you can go over there and check it out. Please help me and help us hit 30,000 members of our community by March 1st. I think we're less than 300 away. So please go ahead and do that. That would greatly appreciate it. But I say all that to say this, that this was uh, brought about uh, because of a lawsuit by Rumble, which is now associated with locals, because that's what the whole point of the law. They want to be able to go after Rumble and after locals because they are free speech platforms that allow free speech, even unpopular speech, because free speech is free speech. UCLA law professor Eugene Volok and and co-plaintiffs, video streaming platform Rumble Canada and creator crowdfunding, crowdfunding site Locals Technology December 1st, 2022, sued New York State in a federal lawsuit alleging the New York law is illegal and in violation of the U.S. Constitution's First and Fourteenth Amendments, which protect free speech and due process. So yeah, Letitia James will just be able to start finding them. Not just say, hey, you're not monitoring free speech, $1,000 a day. $31,000 a month just because we don't like you, essentially. And Judge Carter, an Obama appointee, determined that the hateful conduct law quote, clearly aimed at regulating speech and fundamentally implicates the speech of the network's users by mandating a policy and mechanism by which users can complain about other users' protected speech. The First Amendment protects individuals' rights to engage in hate speech, and the state cannot try to inhibit that right, no matter how unseemly or offensive that speech may be to the general public or to the state. And he said because most likely the plaintiffs would prevail, he's his issue the injunction, and Letitia James can't move forward with her scheme or plot. Thank you, Obama appointee, for doing the right thing. Okay, folks, this is pretty scary what's going on right now. Huge news. And I don't, I, I'm going to probably discussing this a lot more on BCP Unfiltered in the coming days and weeks as this moves forward. But you, did you know that the Biden administration is working with the World Health Organization and it would give this Geneva-based U.S. Uh, UN, excuse me, United Nations subsidiary, the authority to d- dictate this country's policies during a pandemic, also to claim what a pandemic is. That's right. The Biden administration is working with a, glo- and, and I'm the tinfoil hat guy, right? We are all conspiracy theorists worried about globalism, but we actually have the Biden administration preparing to sign and legally bind, I don't even know if legally he can legally bind, bind the United States to be in accordance with World Health Organization rules. Despite widespread criticism of the WHO's response to the pandemic, U.S. Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier or Javier Becerra joined Director General Tedros to announce the U.S. WHO, WHO strategic dialogue, and they developed a platform to maximize a longstanding U.S. government WHO partnership and to protect and promote the health of all people around the globe, including the American people. Okay, so that, what came out of this was the Zero Draft. It's a pandemic treaty, which was published 
seven uh, pledged about 12 days ago. And once it gets ratification from all 194 World Health Organization member states, and they're going to be meeting on February 27th to work on the final terms, but once all 194 WHO members ratify it, written under the banner of the World Together Equitably, the Zero Draft grants the World Health Organization the, pl- the power to declare and manage global pandemic emergency. Once a health emergency is declared, all signatories, including the United States, would submit to the authority of the World World. Why can't I say World Health today? WHO. That's to do everything from treatments to regulations to lockdowns to mandates to global supply chains, and guess what? Even monitoring and surveying surveillance of the population. That's in there, folks. And I'm the tinfoil hat guy. And Biden and his people are literally right now working with the World Health Organization to put us under their rule for pandemics, including surveillance of the population to make sure that we follow the WHO rules. I forgot when and where we voted for the WHO. We have the CDC. We have Health and Human Services. We, we as the United States, we have those agencies that are localized and can do a better job. Arguably, they haven't done the best job, but can do a better job. Forget the fact that we shouldn't be beholden. Let, let's, let's take two arguments here, folks. One is uh, efficiency. Local government is always more efficient than big faraway government. It's a more efficient for the city council to figure out what's best for this city state legislators figure out what's best for a state than bureaucrats and elected officials in D.C. And it's the same thing here. It's better for our health agencies. You know, let's just pretend. Let's just pretend that they weren't beholden to Big Pharma. It, it would be better for, for us, for them to pass policies than for us to be beholden to, oh, I don't know, Tedros and other members of this globalist union that maybe don't have okay let's just let's assume they had everyone's best interests at heart they don't know the particulars of our nation it's inefficient and of course the other argument is it is unconstitutional and wrong we are not the united states of the world we are the united states of america we're our own country very very scary stuff folks and you and no one's hearing about this no one's talking about this They want to see a centralized injection and medication-based response and a very restrictive response in terms of controlling populations. This comes from David Bell. He's a public health physician and a former staffer at the World Health Organization. They get to decide what is a health emergency and they're putting in place a surveillance mechanism that will ensure that there are potential emergencies to declare. Do you understand what this former WHO staffer just said? They get to decide what is a health emergency and they are putting in place a surveillance mechanism that will ensure that there are potential emergencies to declare. They already have this network to survey on us and go, oh, we want to deem that a pandemic or that an emergency and then have power over us. Remember when AJ, the crazy guy that they all say, talked about UN and UN forces being here 
the United States and, and everyone laughed. That'll never happen. We have a former staffer and public health physician saying that the World Health Organization already has surveillance mechanisms in place in the United States to be able to declare potential emergencies. If that doesn't scare the hell out of you, I don't know what will or what does. Maybe it's what's happening in Ohio, but don't worry. Don't worry. Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw yesterday visited East Palestine. Everything is great. He said, quote, I'm here to support the community. That's what he said on February 17th. We know we will be judged by our actions and we are taking this accountability and responsibility very seriously. We will not walk away East Palestine, he says. At the same time, the government's saying there's nothing wrong with the drinking water, drink away. I hear you, we hear you, he says. Shaw added that Norfolk Southern will stay here for as long as it takes to ensure your safety and to help East Palestine recover and thrive. Crews are cleaning the site thoroughly, responsibly, and safely. Yeah. If you if you believe that, I've got a, a bridge to sell you. It's a great opportunity. It goes from San Diego to Oahu, Hawaii. It's going to be awesome. We'll have it built in like 90 days. You want to invest in that? Call 1-800-555-USE-A-SUCKA. Okay, folks, this is, uh, this is a little disconcerting here. 400 miles away, 400 miles away from East Palestine, Ohio. Orange County health officials are investigating after residents in the region about 70 miles north of New York City reported an unusual odor in the air and residue on their cars. These are several people to the point where the Orange County health officials are looking at this. Officials from the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation and the Orange County Fire Services hazmat team were at the region yesterday. And this whole investigation was prompted after the county health department received several reports regarding residents smelling an unusual odor and seeing residue on their cars. Orange County is around 400 miles east of East Palestine, Ohio, where those toxic chemicals were burnt off as part of a controlled release days after the train derailed on February 3rd. Now they looked locally. This is this is where this is this is where, where I want to report. They looked locally. DEC's comprehensive investigation into the odors reported in the Hudson Valley is ongoing. No imminent public health or environmental threat was detected based on initial air readings. We will continue to update the community at the investigation uh, pro- uh, progresses. They looked into manufacturing and other businesses in the area for any releases of leaks, any releases or leaks or anything, but they have found nothing from the local businesses in that region. But there was a major thing that happened 400 miles away a couple weeks ago. And I don't know the winds, but I think they blow east. Could they be related? I don't know. But once again, another dink, Or is it really a coincidence? If they're getting residue and odor 400 miles away, is it really, is it really safe to drink the water? Is everything really okay in that area of Ohio? By the way, if you're watching this on YouTube, please like, share, and subscribe. 
and put your comment down below. Your engagement helps us with the YouTube algorithm. Also, if you missed one of my recent uh, episodes, go and find another one that you may have missed and go ahead and watch it. The main story, if it's a live, if it's a, if it's a, a, a live stream I did, the main topic of the headline will be in the description box or will be in the first pinned comment. You can go there and go right to the story that's of the headline. And then most of the non-live streams, there's timestamps to all the stories in the description box or in the first comment in the comment section. All right, looks like Ronald McDaniel and the RNC are up to some tricks to try to box President Trump in. Now, do you remember back in 2016 when President Trump was running, he said that he was going to win. And they said, well, if you don't win the primaries, are you going to back the eventual nominee for the Republican Party? And Trump never committed to that. Well, here we have what's going on right now. Under a proposal likely to be approved by the RNC's com- committee's temporary standing committee on presidential debates, GOP presidential candidates would be barred from taking part in debates if they decline to sign a pledge vowing to back the party's eventual nominee. This is being reported by the Associated Press. So President Trump would have to go in there and he would not be able to debate or anybody else unless they sign something saying, even if the RNC screws me out of the primary, I must pledge to back the eventual nominee, even if that nominee isn't organically the nominee it's supposed to be. And I'm just saying, look what the Democrats did to Bernie Sanders in 2016 and 2020. Just go look at what they did to him. You think, you think the RNC, part of the establishment, is not going to try to ixnay President Trump? And then they're going to want President Trump to pledge to vow, uh, pledge and vow to back the uh, party's eventual nominee? Now, on the flip side of this, it could be great. President Trump wins the nomination for the Republican Party. And that would mean that everyone, all his opponents, no matter how nasty it got, they would have to, if we go by this system, back President Trump as the nominee. But for some reason, I don't think this is meant to help President Trump. I'm pretty sure Ronnie McDaniel and the others are doing this to harm President Trump, to back him into a corner. Because I don't know if President Trump would be willing to sign a pledge that said he must back the party's eventual nominee. I don't know. What your thought, what are your thoughts? Put them down below. After the primary, it is imperative to the health and growth of our Republican Party as well as the country that we all come together and unite behind our nominee to defeat Joe Biden and the Democrats, RNC Chair Ron McDaniel said. So, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But it seems to me another plot to box in President Trump. Speaking of President Trump, let's talk about Mike Pence. The Justice Department has searched his office. I was going to report on it this morning, but I wanted to get all the information. So the Justice Department official searched former Vice President Mike Pence's Washington office, and they found no documents with classified markings. That's what his aide said. The officials removed one binder containing three redacted documents from the office of Pence's political advisory group, Advance American Freedom, according to, uh, to Pence aide Devin O'Malley. So there were three redacted documents. Were they redacted when the FBI or whoever got there to search them? Were they redacted before? Were these treasonous, traitorous, lying, backstabbing bastards? I don't know what the answer is. 
but I don't trust any of them. Were they actually classified and redacted them? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. That's all I'm saying. O'Malley said that Pence had granted law enforcement permission to search the office and gave officials unrestricted access to the property. Let's go over to what's happening on the national stage, folks, because these things are important. North Korea has fired a missile into Japan's exclusive economic zone. That's amid all these uh, these tensions. But what's interesting about this specific uh, missile, according to Japan's defense minister, the missile's range was 8,700 miles. So technically would have the capacity to strike the United States. North Korea on Saturday fired an intercontinental ballistic missile that landed in waters within Japan's exclusive economic zone, according to Japanese and South Korean officials. After Pyongyang warned that upcoming U.S.-South Korea military drills would lead to a strong response. Supposedly, North Korea is flexing because there's going to be a joint exercise between the United States and South Korea in the military drills as if this is something new. So according to the Japanese government, on February 18th, Saturday, North Korea fired one ICBM-class ballistic missile. It flew for some 66 minutes before landing in Japan's exclusive economic zone. Now, what's very interesting is that uh, it had this vertical flight and did like this candy cane type thing or this big U. So they're doing that to be supposedly not to be initially detected and also not to fly over South Korea. So it goes up straight for a long time above North Korea. Then it curved and came down in Japanese exclu- uh, economic exclusive economic zone in the ocean. Now, if President Trump were still in office and would this have happened? Probably not. By the way, Iran and China are urging for the renewal of the Iran deal and removal of sanctions. Iranian President Raisi and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping have called for the full and effective implementation of the Iran nuclear deal by all sides and the removal of all U.S. sanctions against Iran in a verifiable manner. Look, folks, Iran and China wanting something, you do the exact opposite. Okay, Anthony Blinken actually sat down with an official from China during, if you missed my uh, previous episode, I talked about Kamala Harris and what she said at this Munich security conference that took place today. And during this conference or right after the conference or as part of this conference, unofficially, officially, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken condemned Beijing's act of sending a surveillance balloon over U.S. airspace in the first bilateral meeting he had with his Chinese counterpart. Just met with top diplomat Wang Yi, Blinken wrote on Twitter. I condemned the incursion of the PRC surveillance balloon and stressed it must never happen again. I warned China against providing material support to Russia. I also emphasized the importance of keeping open lines of communication. Blinken told NBC News that after the meeting, Wang, the the Chinese state counselor and director of Beijing's Central Foreign Affairs Office, gave no apology for the Chinese balloon incident. But it gets, it gets even richer than this. There was no apology, Blinken said. 
But what I can tell you is that this was an opportunity to speak very clearly and very directly about the fact that China sent a surveillance balloon over our territory, violating our sovereignty and violating international law. But we let them traverse the whole country before shooting it down. But $118 and $120 balloons being flown up by enthusiasts, we must shoot those down with $400,000 a pop missiles. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Just ridiculous the people that are governing over us. But here's the rich part. After all this was said and done, Blinken got the uh, the cold shoulder. Beijing has insisted that the United States formally initiate the meeting between so they can go back to the meeting. Remember, Anthony Blinken canceled the meeting after the press broke and started following the story about the spy balloon in the first place. Blinken made a request but received no response from China before boarding the Munich-bound flight on Thursday. Such disrespect for the United States by China. Why should they respect us when they own us and they bought us? Not me, not you, not this kind of us, but U.S. politicians on both sides of the aisle. All right, folks, want to uh, want to end with these last two stories. The first one is Democrat privilege. Sam Bankman-Fried, the FTX ripoff artist, appearance of bond of $250 million is the largest in American history, but... There was no cash exchanged for his release for home detention, only promises by his Stanford law professor parents and their two Stanford faculty colleagues he won't flee the country. $250 million bond and no cash was exchanged and it was on the word of three Stanford professors, one of the Stanford folks being SBF's dad. Can't make this up. This is what it's like when you have one party rule. They don't even try to hide it. The bail terms, by any measure, were exceptionally lenient. Moreover, the bond doesn't fit one of American history's most enormous financial crimes. A first-year law student would have fashioned a more appropriate and restrictive bond than the Southern District of New York Judge Lewis Kaplan did, as well as prosecuting U.S. Attorney Damian Williams. Why these people are controlled. They're in, so- they're in the Southern District of New York, total deep state controlled. That's where Comey came from, Loretta, Loretta Lynch, and other nasty players. To be fair, that's also where Rudy Giuliani came from. But Giuliani's not one of them. So, $250 million bond, that's okay. If you're a Democrat and you gave money to Democrat causes, you don't have to get... What's the point of a bond if there's... what? what they have a $250 million home, they're that rich? Or $25 million home? 10%? No cash exchange? Biggest financial crime? And he gets to sit in his home and he gets to tamper with... You realize that SPF has been tampering with witnesses using encrypted messages and everything to, to talk to people that could possibly be subpoenaed and deposed. And they say, oh, let's make sure that that's in the, uh, let, just, just make sure we put it in writing that he's not supposed to do that in the, in the bail agreement, whatever that document is. I'm not a lawyer. They don't even want to hide the double standard. Two years, people still suffering without a trial as January 6th political prisoners being tortured, given muddy water, 23 hours of solitary confinement. Things that go against the Geneva Convention are happening in America, but SBF gets to chill and use encrypted email and messaging apps while living at his parents' house comfortably. 
And this should come as no surprise, folks. Here's my last story for you on this uh, late Saturday, maybe early Sunday, depending on when you're watching it, Roundup. You know that MSU shooter, Anthony McRae, 43, who walked around uh, Michigan State and used a, a 9 millimeter ha- uh, handgun, shooting and killing three college students? Yeah. What you're not going to hear is that he is a full-on liberal Democrat. So here we go. Um, Authorities regularly delete social media profiles and suppress information about shooter motives so that they can always control the narrative on shooter motives. McRae's social media is a confusing mix of posts about exorcisms, even though it was reported he was not personally religious. So the Gateway Pundit, good job, bravo to the Hoff brothers, asked for the details on the McRae family from a data vendor and received the following information. The data vendor asked to remain anonymous because they don't want to have any revenge or retribution against them. But here's what we know about the MSU shooter, Anthony. They're trying to put, oh, he's another right-wing guy with a gun. Well, he was pro Roe v. Wade. He opposed Trump's Muslim ban, which is not a, which was not a Muslim ban. He supports left-wing redistrict, redistrict, redistricting commission. He supports anyone using whatever bathroom they personally want to. He supports public transit and light rail expansions. These are all government programs meant to bankrupt us that don't work in most cases. In many cases, I should say. More funding for government schools, raising the minimum wage, and amnesty for illegal aliens. He's got liberal fiscal views. He supported Clinton in 2016. Supports the the legalization of marijuana. Open borders. Believes in climate change. Opposes fracking, wants stronger support for same-sex marriage, and he supports unions. Yep, sounds like a right-winger to me. Oh, wait. Those are all the markings of a hardcore leftist. So the MSU shooter is a leftist. So ignore any rhetoric that's coming out from this regime about right-wing gun nuts. All right, folks, I got you caught up. I will have more reporting for you tomorrow, Sunday. Ciao, goodbye, God bless. Please check out our other program. Links are down below and make sure that you hit the like button and subscribe. By the way, make sure you're still subscribed. I'm seeing several comments. This is the fifth time they've unsubscribed me. Yeah, that's what they're doing. Make sure you're still subscribed and hit that subscribe button.